So, uh, welcome everyone. Uh, this is 82 of the Retic Lounge. We're we're nearing 100. We're, That's yeah, we're pretty close. wild. Yeah, every every time I I put in a new episode on YouTube, I'm like, there's no way. Right, and every time that we inch closer, I want it to take longer because I know once we hit it, it's like, uh, and then we just gotta wait for like 150 or 200. No, no, there's other like stupid childish, you know goals i have in terms of episode numbers so uh but this episode we have you know someone i've been able to talk with quite a bit in the retic industry uh this is someone that luckily moved from colorado and came into my own backyard uh the state of utah so uh you know he's a, a staple at local shows now uh but we're going to be talking to weston winner of uh wildfire retics tonight yeah, I'm excited for for bringing Weston on and, you know, a very large portion of what we're going to be talking about with Weston is his passion and drive for very large retics. In the retic community right now, everybody is trying to shrink everything down and Weston's like, nope, I just want large, beautiful animals um, through his social media presence. You know, Wildfire Retics has... Uh, shown that passion and he's he's built up this amazing social media with long videos um and what what's great about it is you know he showcases these 10-foot enclosures that that now in my mind have to be the standard for keeping large retics and and weston was one of the first big people that had a good social media presence to make that very clear in public like no these animals need a little bit bigger of an enclosure um and so we are going to highlight his desire to work with large retics uh, as well as explore his decisions to scale down his collection and become a lot more focused on the retics that he does keep. Uh, Nathan, you want to say anything else before we bring him on? Uh, I just want to give a big shout out to our Patreon community. If you want, you can hop on to Patreon for as low as $5 a month. That gives you access to our Discord. We do uh, bi-monthly little hangouts on Zoom and just have a really active Discord where people are just lifting each other up. So, yeah, Lucas, let's take him in. Whether you've poured your heart and soul into your reptile business or you've just begun your business journey, AE Foundry has you covered with next-level expertise in graphic design, motion graphics, videography, photography, and so much more. If you've been dying for a new logo for your reptile business, motion graphics for your current logo, a new website, or need assistance making your video podcast come to life, then listen carefully. AE Foundry's mission places storytelling at its core. AE Foundry believes that a distinctive story and background are the driving forces that set your brand apart. In today's market, consumers seek more than just products. They crave a connection built on trust with the brands they cherish. AE Foundry is committed to empowering small businesses and fostering authenticity that resonates with their consumers. Reach out to them and let them help you craft a visual narrative that helps establish a genuine and lasting connection with your audience. To contact AE Foundry, email them at aromero at aefoundry.com or on Instagram at aefoundry. If you are in the market for an enclosure for your reticulated python or any other one of your reptiles, Focus Cubed Habitats is your one-stop shop for not only the best-looking cages on the market, but also provide amazing features and add-ons to your cages. 
we partnered with Focus Cute Habitats because they continue to innovate and change the way we house our animals unlike any other caging company out there. Their cages are designed intelligently and provide the most stylish and secure housing for your animal's comfort and well-being. Visit focuscubedhabitats.com for your animal's caging needs. Again, visit focuscubedhabitats.com for some amazing and stylish enclosures. We also want to thank VivTech Products for being an affiliate sponsor of the Retic Lounge. Stop by VivTech Products for the best UV spectrum lighting on the market that will enhance and improve your snake's overall well-being and health. Visit VivTechProducts.com and use the code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Again, visit VivTechProducts.com and use our affiliate code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Looking for the perfect accessories for your hatchlings or juvenile retics? Look no further than Heli Guy Serpents. Our sponsor, Chris Sexton, is coming in hot with an amazing 3D printer, creating top-notch perches and other caging accessories for your beloved pets. Enrich your retics environment with their high-quality products. Use our promo code TRL10 for a 10% discount on your purchase. Visit them today at heliguyserpents.com and start giving your pets the best. Heli Guy Serpents, the premier source for 3D printed caging accessories. Again, that's www.heliguyserpents.com and use our promo code TRL10 for 10% off all of your 3D printed accessories today. All right. Weston, what's going on, man? What's up, guys? Hey, Thanks man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I- Long time coming. My, 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 fa- I was hoping that when we brought you on, you were going to do the Weston staple. What's up guys. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you did it. And I was like, hell yeah. 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 That's uh, apparently my, my trademark line, which I, I never intended for it to be. And I actually, I actually don't even say what's up guys in like normal life. It's right. literally only when I'm doing videos. Cause I spent a lot of time in the South and if I'm referring to a group of people, I'm like, what's up y'all? Like that's right. what I say, but the what's up guys just seem to be the opening tagline of all the wildfire videos. So, you know, what's funny is I've done my, I've tried making my own videos in the garage and, and, you know, I got a library of like probably eight videos that I just honestly too anxious to post, but, um, it's funny, like I start off and, and naturally that's what I say too. And I'm like, I can't say that. Like I, I can't, like I can't do, but it just, it naturally comes. Um, so, so I totally get it. Yeah. That it just seems to be the first thing out of my mouth every time. So. Oh man. Well, I'm, I'm happy to have you on. Thanks for taking the time. Um, and you know, I, I know that you got, um, you know, not just, you know, the large retics, but you got other businesses and ventures. And so I know that you are not one that is, you know, has a lot of free time. So just appreciate you for coming on, man. Well, absolutely. Again, I'm glad to be here. Um, love what you guys are doing with, uh, with this podcast and trying to bring really, you know, some positive uh, aspects and lights to different subjects and talk about things that people don't normally talk about. Um, you know, you guys are obviously newer in, in the, the retic world. Um, but we need more visibility. We need more transparency. You know, that's something that I've always tried to be with my social media and within, you know, the community. Um, and we need more of it because that's the only way. I mean, I remember when I came into this, (laughs) 
the 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 information that you could get it was like over here you got one thing over here you got another thing so you know again i applaud you guys for the efforts that you guys are making to uh to improve the community hey yeah, that that's big words thank you yeah appreciate it um wasn't let, let's jump right in and if you don't mind just kind of you know for those that don't know who you are you know tell us a little bit about you how you got into reptiles take us through how you ended up choosing retics as as like your your main bread and butter with your reptiles okay well i i will give an abbreviated version because this could be literally the whole podcast um <laughs> I, I, I could go on um i've been into reptiles since i was a little boy um i ran around i grew up in northwest ohio not a lot of snakes in northwest ohio but there's different kinds of lizards and there's a lot of frogs and things like that i would catch anything that i could i kept it in shoe boxes in my closet including garter snakes uh, i drove my parents crazy they hated it my dad to this day um, i actually put a video not that long ago on my on my social media of my dad coming into the into my facility he literally still hates this like and every time he's here i just look at him i'm like you realize this is your fault right like if you would just let me do this when i was a kid i'd have gotten it out of my system but, right <laughs> um so anyways um i was never allowed to keep snakes when i was a kid um but uh, I've, I've got pictures of me when I was in, you know, middle school and high school holding panther chameleons and stuff like that. Um, when I got to college is when I really started keeping snakes. Um, I like most people, I started with ball pythons and I had a collection of ball pythons. And when ball pythons really weren't interesting anymore, I started getting into boa constrictors. And then I got some Burmese pythons um, and I went to school in South Florida. So going out in the Everglades to catch whatever we wanted was a regular thing. We could go out and catch alligators, you know, at, at any night of the week. Um, and I also, when I lived in Fort Myers, that's when Glades Herp was based in Fort Myers. That was before Robbie moved everything up to Tampa. So I was going up there two, three times a week. That was where I first really started learning about venomous stuff. And that was the first real like serious segue that I took in reptiles was into venomous. Um, and in college, I had a breeding pair of Gaboon Vipers. I had an 11 foot nice. oh, um, I had a leucistic monocled Cobra at one point. So I, I went down that road. I, uh, as I like to say, I was much younger, faster and dumber. Um, <laughs> and so that, that was a phase through most of college. Um, my house in college, if you came over, it literally, there were cages everywhere. There, nice. there, I had a fish tank coffee table. I had cages with different snakes and uh, chameleons and everything all over the place. I literally, that breeding pair of gaboons I had in, in a it's six foot vision stack at the foot of my bed in my bedroom. And I That's would literally awesome. lay in bed and watch them. Um, That's the thing I'm I'm not dumb enough to do, but uh, would love to do in my dreams. You know, <laughs> the, the gaboons. That, no, that dude, that's gaboons are my and, and favorite. I'm surprised I've never heard that about you. Like we've They're, talked a, a little bit, and yeah, I've never known the venomous side of you. Yeah, man. It, again, like it was literally 20 years ago. Like yeah. it, was, it was it was two decades ago. Um, gaboons still like <laughs> when my wife and I met. Um, she, when we, and we talked about the whole snake thing and she asked, she's like, and of course she mispronounced it. She said, you don't keep any poisonous snakes. <laughs> yeah. I corrected her and said, no, it's venomous. Um, but 
she asked if I kept any. And I said, no. I said, I used to. Um, I said, there's one that I would still love to keep, but I don't think I'm going to go there. And she's like, what? And I'm like, I really want a King Cobra. Like, I, I've, always, I've always wanted one. Um, but now, especially with the family starting and everything else, um, that's, that's, out, that's just out of the, out of the picture, um, yeah. out, of, out of consideration. But um, Kaboon Viper is by far still like, if I see one at like a zoo or something like that, I'll sit there and stare at it for 30 minutes. Like yep. they are the most besides retics to me, they are the most beautiful snakes on the planet. Like just yep. mind boggling the pattern. on them. The so pattern, it's the only the other color. snake besides a retic that I have tattooed on me. Nice. Nice. Yes. I actually didn't know that about you. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, um the the opposite of Nathan for me is I I would be dumb enough to keep them but I I like I like my family and my life too much to to, to bring Lucas, one in Weston and... and I are also locked down by laws here in Salt Lake City Utah so oh okay <laughs> yeah we, we yeah, can't I mean, really you're, keep you're, you're in Texas, you can keep whatever you want <laughs> no it's... yeah I mean and and you know they all they do is say go to Walmart and get a permit you're in the Wild West we're in the Mountain West things are different right. out here. There is a difference. So, but yeah, so that, that was a phase through college. Um, and then I actually, so, and, and Nathan, you, I, I know you want to talk about this a little bit later and it's totally fine. No, my, no, we can get into it now. My, my love of reptiles was superseded by my love of pit bulls. So yeah. I got my first pit bull when I was 19. Um, and that quickly blossomed into just an absolute obsession um, I spent about 10 years running a, a full-time breeding operation kennel. Uh, Lionsgate Kennels was the name of it. I traveled the country. I shipped dogs all over the world. Um, I still have pit bulls to this day. Um, they're absolutely by, I mean, I've got one tattooed over my heart. Um, you know, there, I've said many times, if I don't have a pit bull, it's because I'm dead. So um, I, I got heavily, heavily into the pit bulls. And I, even though I was young, I knew I couldn't do both. I couldn't do pit bulls and the, and the snakes. So I made a choice and I literally got completely out of reptiles. Um, didn't really keep anything um, other than I had an albino boa for a little bit. So I, my, in my dog travels, I moved to Southern California. Uh, I was lived in Temecula for, uh, for about nine, 10 months. Where I lived, there were rattlesnakes all over the property, so I could catch rattlesnakes whenever I wanted. I had an albino boa out there, but again, I wasn't really like keeping anything. Um, and I really didn't like have reptiles in my life again until I moved to Colorado in 20, early 2013. Um, and when I moved to Colorado, I moved out there to get in the cannabis industry. Um, I was living out in the foothills of Colorado by myself. It was me and my one pit bull. And I just had the thought, you know what? I've always, and I, I, I periodically kept tabs on like the, the reptile industry, like still check random classified sites and things like that. King snake fauna classifieds, the old school stuff. Right. So I didn't know there were Facebook groups all dedicated to, to all different kinds of reptiles, especially retics. Um, and so I decided, I was like, you know what? Like I always wanted to retick. Like I, I've kept Cobras, kept Gaboon Vipers. Like how bad can a retick really be? Um, and so I went on to King Snake Classifieds and literally found a guy um, in, uh, in Wisconsin that was selling a purple. I really wanted a white albino retick. 
Couldn't find anybody selling a white albino retic because nobody breeds white albinos. Nobody likes white albinos for some reason. Um, but anyways, I found a guy. That, that's what I fell in love with when I first Dude. got into super dwarfs. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that's funny. I, I, I absolutely, to this day, I love, like, it's a toss up now between purple and the and, and white face. Um, but my very first retic was a purple, uh, purple retic, purple albino. Um, it was sold to me as a male, turned out to be a female. Um, and when I got her, she was seven, eight feet long. And in two years, she was 15 and a half feet. And <laughs> I, I, I literally, I just wanted one that like, I, I was totally content with just one. I had a big eight foot enclosure in my office. It was eight foot long, three foot deep and two foot high. And I, I love that snake, man. Um, named her Baraka. Like she was so chill. I could beat her by hand. I could get her out. I never even had a hook. Like it was just a super easy snake and made me absolutely just fall in love with retics. Um, and she was the only one that I had for four years. Um, and I left my house, uh, over Thanksgiving break. Um, and when, uh, four years later, and my buddy was supposed to check on my house for me while I was out of town. He didn't, we had a snowstorm, uh, house lost power, snake died, man. Damn. And so I came home, dead snake, shit, buried it, looked at the cage for a couple of days and was like, well, I'm not going to leave the cage empty. Like, I, you know, I'm going to get another one. And that was when I discovered the Facebook groups. Um, and back in, this was, uh, this was late 2016, um, early 2017. And so this is when all the retic classified Facebook groups existed. Mm -hmm. And I found them and all of a sudden discovered all of these different morphs and mutations that had been developed over, you know, you however bit by years. the bug. I, I think that was the year that I, I got into it was around 2016. So yeah, I, I found Eric Lee on one of those uh, classified groups. I, it's where I found all the guys. And so this, this is another funny story and I, I have told this before, but so I was looking for another purple albino and I, I was just scouring, scouring, and nobody had what I wanted. Like nobody had, I wanted a purple albino with a brilliant yellow head. And I can, if you go back. Um, oh, I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. Well, if you go back on my social media, I've put, posted pictures of my first purple albino retech before. And to this day, it was one of the best looking purples I've ever seen in my life. Like just brilliant, bright yellow head, much like the, the female that's sitting right over here next to me. Um, and nobody had them. Like no, nobody had what I wanted. And so I was kind of getting discouraged and I was like, well, maybe like, maybe I'll go back to the white face. Like, you know, maybe I'll, I'll get something different this time. And so I, I kept looking, looking, and I, I'll never forget this. I forget which Facebook classified group it was, but um, there was an ad, there were no pictures and it said 15 retakes and it listed them out. It said, $500 must pick up. And it, it was, and the ad was from a guy in Arkansas. And I was like, it's, that's a scam. hundred percent. It's a scam. But I was like, you know what? Screw it. I sent the guy an email. He emails me back and he's like, Hey, no, this is a legitimate ad. Like I'm getting out. I need someone. I will not ship them. I need someone to come pick up all these snakes. If you come pick them up, you can have them for $500. And I was like, send me pictures. He sent me pictures and 
literally one of my biggest snakes that's right over here, Alice, my 19 foot platinum was in that group. And so I literally messaged back and forth with this guy. His name was Devin. He lived in central Arkansas. And this is at the time I lived in Colorado. I was like, look, dude, I will drive out there and I will pick these snakes up. But number one, if you change, if you try to change the deal, or if you try to like pull any funny business, understand I'm coming with a gun. Like if, if you try to fuck with me, like I, it's not going to go well if I drive 12 and a half hours out there. And he's like, I promise this is a real deal. Like just come get them. So I literally rented an expedition, drove from Colorado straight to Arkansas, pull with my girlfriend at the time. And as we're pulling up to this house, I'm like, look, this is either going to be really gnarly. Like, like you never know pulling up to somebody's house to pick up a reptile. This is either going to be really gnarly and you're going to be disgusted or like, this is a legit thing. And like, this is going to be kind of cool. And it turned out to be the latter. Walked in, the guy's garage was immaculate. The snakes were super clean. Um, like everything was well taken care of. And I was like, yo, like, what are you doing? And he's like, I, I'm way overwhelmed. I'm way in over my head. I just, I did not want to ship them. Everybody wanted me to ship them. Nobody wanted to come pick them up. You're here. He's like, everything that you can fit in that expedition, you can have. And I was like, you mean the cages too? And he's like, dude, all of it. I literally the U-Haul get in the trailer. Yeah, I would have been like, be right back. I would have gone to <laughs> Dude, a U-Haul. I, I loaded, I fit all but one cage. And I loaded up all the snakes and Tupperwares. I, and and there was only one big snake. And of course it was a big male. Um, but it literally, like, I got my female platinum het purple. I got a white phase albino. I got an adult male sunfire. Like, I got all the, yeah, there you go. There he is. That was my first purple. Um, so I got all these different snakes and I paid the guy 500 bucks. And so I drove back to Colorado straight back with 15 retics. And so I went from zero to 15 retics in literally 24 hours. And that, it, it just went from there. So and that, that in and of itself is, is a huge learning curve, but, but I am sure that you learned a lot in a very little amount of time uh yeah i so i i've posted this video it's been a while since i posted it um but it is, it is on there it's one of the throwbacks and it's literally my laundry room in my house in colorado because i didn't have anywhere to put these snakes and i didn't have heating sources for all of these different cages that i just got and so, cause the guy was using ambient heat in his garage. And so my laundry room just so happened to have its own thermostat in Colorado. So I cranked the heat up to 80 degrees in that laundry room. And that's where all these snakes were in literal. Some of them were in Tupperwares. Some of them were in cages that I, that, that I brought back with me. I mean, none of them, except for the male, he was the only big one. And I, I went and got a six foot cage for him right away. Um, but it, it literally like, there was nothing special about it. Like I started the same way most people do with just a, a little tiny room and a whole bunch of snakes crammed into it. And yeah. that was, that, that was literally how wildfire started. Man. I, I think that, that, you know, I, I grew rapidly, not that rapidly. Um, okay. and, and I can imagine just again, that learning curve, but, um, you see yeah, people that, do it with ball pythons all the time, but oh, to yeah. imagine doing it with retics is a, yeah, no, a totally a whole, different ballpark. Whole different well, story there. The other thing that it did, because I I did get a bunch of animals that I really had no interest in. And you're you're gonna cringe, Nathan. One of the animals, 
was a platinum annery jamp. Okay. Like full jamp. And I was like, yeah. And I, and I started doing research because I didn't really know what it was. I'm like, oh, this is going to stay small. I don't want this. And so I started just <laughs> creating the stuff that I didn't want. I I'm looking at a platinum now. I don't know if it's the one, but just for shits and giggles, let's see. No, dude. That, so that's Alice. That's oh, okay, that's Alice. I, okay, that's one of the ones I picked up in the group. She's the 19 footer that's over here now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. she's she's beautiful. Um, I, I love when you have her out. Um, let, let me let me ask you this. Um, you know you you got all these retakes that's kind of how it started you started building and everything but what what like currently right now like what other species are you you working with um i literally have two species of varanus um and that's it okay. i literally have retics and i've got a black throat and a black dragon and that is it so i've in, in my time since i got really heavily into retics i had quite a few berms at one point. Um, I was kind of doing the, the berm and retic thing. Um, I just, I, I kind of discovered really the only berms I really, really liked were caramels. Um, so that was my old black throat. That was my big boy that I yeah, had. Yeah, I, I remember Kronos and I remember yeah. it when you, when you got the new black throat. Yeah. That, that's also like something that I definitely recognize as a passion in you. Yeah, Kronos, Kronos was the man, dude. I used to take him to shows, and he would literally just sit on my shoulder for an hour like a puppy dog. Like, he was, That's he awesome. was so awesome. I've um, met some really cool Blackthroats over the years. That I I don't blame you. There's so much chiller. So this Black Dragon that I have is my first Asian water monitor. Like, it, it's – and it is – I thought it would be a little bit – like, have some similarities. No. Uh-uh. Zero, zero the same. Like <laughs> not even close. So yeah, I'm I'm learning a lot with that guy as we as we go along. But yeah, oh, I my, bet. the the new black throat that I have, Kratos is his name. Um, and he's he's so easy. Like even my wife, of all the reptiles that I have, even my wife likes him. So Okay. That that that's fair. I mean, I'm not gonna lie on your page. One of my favorite things to watch is, you know, your your you know, when your wife is behind the camera and she's she's you know walking into a situation and and giving us the play-by-play -play. it's one of my favorites <laughs> yeah your dad just needs to watch a couple of those videos and i think he might come around right <laughs> so um so yeah that that's that's how i got heavily into retics um wildfire itself started because i picked up all those snakes and i kept picking up more snakes and in 2018, I probably had close to 30 retics. Um, and anybody that's followed me for a while knows I was in Colorado. I was in the cannabis industry. I got raided by the feds. I went through a long ordeal um, with, uh, with all that, where I didn't really know what the outcome was going to be, what my future was going to hold. And wildfire really kind of got born in terms of like the social media and what people know of it wildfire got born out of that because it was the only thing that i could go do besides the gym that would take my mind off the fact that i was maybe going to prison for a very very long time um and so i and the social media aspect of it started because i was literally working with these snakes by myself in a facility way outside of town and i would just go live on facebook basically to be like hey i'm doing 
I'm doing this. If something goes wrong, at least somebody knows. Like, <laughs> you know, like at least, at least if I get messed up, like somebody knows they're not just like, oh, hey, we haven't heard from Weston in six years. Right. So, so this was your grizzly man? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> okay. A little bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I'm the social media started with that, but, but currently, like your current social media presence is pretty. You know, it's, it's, it's in full force, you know, and I know that you go through seasons of taking time off and then coming back and everything. But what I really like about your social media is, is you do a lot of long, longer videos than people normally see on like Instagram or Facebook. And I, I always appreciate it because I, I don't, I don't go on YouTube too much. And so it's awesome to see you post a 10, 15 minute video. Um, and you, you spend a lot of time educating and, and, you know, informing people of like how you keep, what you do, what your procedures are. And, you know, is that something? And it's not the pretty side of retics either. Yeah, no, 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 no. Not, not always, at least. Um, no. um, so again, when I started, when I started really posting on social media, so the first thing that happened, and again, you scroll back on Facebook to 2018 and you can find it. I had a video with one of the first like big retics that I had that was that had a terrible attitude. It was a pied female. I drove up to Northern Wyoming, bought her from Michael Durr. She was ter- had a terrible attitude. Um, and I drove her back home. And that was one of the snakes that I would always go live with when I was handling because I never knew how it was going to go. And I posted one of the videos um, after going live and it hit 2 million views. And this Jeez. is back in like, this is literally back in 2018. And I was like, oh, this, int- people are interested in this. Like people and like people want to see this. And it was like, okay. And again, at that point in time on social media, like you had guys that were, you had Brian Barsic, you know, may he rest in peace. You had Jay. That was kind of it. Yeah. Like there wasn't really anybody else that was posting video. Lots of people were using social media to like push sales and like post photos, but people weren't posting videos. And what occurred to me was I, I certainly didn't know everything, especially back then. I mean, I, I've only, you know, that's the thing. People have this misconception that I've been like in the breeding world for like a decade. I dropped my first clutch in 2018. Like, I, I've not been breeding that long. I've been keeping retics for over a decade, but not breeding. Anyways, and, and part of what frustrated me when I was getting into breeding was the, the lack of like the lack of information. Yeah, totally. And, 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 and the amount of misinformation, right? And the good old boys club. And, and if you were a newbie, you couldn't get into that club because you were a newbie. Right. Yeah. I got really fortunate in that I bought a couple snakes from Paul Lucas, the retic keeper, mm-hmm. and Paul took me under his wing when it came to breeding. Like I knew how to keep snakes. I knew how to keep them alive. I knew how to keep them healthy, right? I did I had no idea how to breed retics. Zero. Um and Paul's a great dude, man. Paul is one of my best friends. And funny enough, I've literally never shook his hand. I've known him. <laughs> I've known him for seven years and I've never shook his hand. You, um, you are the one that told me about Paul and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Paul has been really cool to me. 
yeah, Paul, Paul is an, he's an amazing wealth of knowledge. Um, he also was the guy that like really held me accountable. Like he would literally be calling me and again, he's two hours ahead of me. So he'd be calling me at like four in the morning, my time when I was in Colorado, when I was trying to get things breeding, he'd be like, are you down there checking on your snakes? Like, get your ass down there. Like, if you want to make this happen, like you need to be down there and see what's going on. Um, and, and so through working with him and, and learning from him and, and, it, and he'll say this, he had some really good mentors too. You know, he had Andy Dietz who used to run nerd with Kevin, um, yeah. Jason Gaspar guys that are long gone out of the hobby, but that really took him under, uh, their wing and taught him how to do it. Um, <laughs> and I owe a, the majority of my success as a breeder to him and working with him. Um, but I forget where I was going with that. Um, shit, I completely just lost that train of thought. Um, we were talking about social media. Yeah, there you go. Okay, thank you. Um, so when I was really coming up, there just there wasn't anything there. And so the information I got from Paul was fantastic. And it helped me. And it was like, all right, well, and, and once I applied it and it worked, it was very simple for me to just be like, well, I should help other people. Like right. I should give this knowledge out. And I remember when I first started posting some of the how-to videos and like some of the what, like the videos of like what I was doing, I got backlash from, from the elders of the community. Like, yo, you shouldn't tell people this. Like, you know, they, they should have to figure it out on their own. Like they should have to yeah. learn. And it's like, dude, like, that was the same they, message I got, dude. It, yeah. It's like, how is anybody supposed to learn if no one will teach them? And then you want to bitch about the way things are being done by newbies. Right. Well, then show them the right way to do it. Like, it, I, it, it, I, like so what I've always seen in any, any industry that you're in is if, if you're wanting to make it a legitimate industry, raise each other up let each other know like the knowledge that you have and, and try to pass that on. If, if not, it's a dead industry. Right. It, it, it is. The, and the other thing, and I took this from my, from, from business. If you see someone doing what you want to do, go try to learn everything you can from them. Yeah. Yeah. And, absolutely. And I, I got fortunate, like I said, to, to befriend Paul and he taught me, and was and still to this day, there's things where with breeding, I'll call him and or literally I'll send him a picture and he'll tell me something about a snake that was in the picture that I wasn't even asking about. I'm like, how do you see that? Like, how right. do you like what? But but I get it because other in other things that I've been doing in my life, like cannabis, like someone sent me a picture of their cannabis room and I can very quickly diagnose what's probably wrong with it. But that's again sidebar. Um, so anyways, the, the social media thing to me, it, it was just like, Hey, I have this information and this has worked for me and I'm going to share it and I'm going to put it out there and people liked it. And so I just kept doing it and kept doing it. And I've, I've created the following that I have and the, and essentially the business that I have around wildfire, mainly because people know that one, they can trust me. Number two, that I'll help them. Like I have people that I sold snakes to 
five, six, you know, five and six years ago that I still talk to and still help with different things. Um, you know, and, and so it, it just, it seemed like the right thing to do, I guess. Um, the other thing was I'm not, I'm not a fake person and I'm not like a goofy person. So just doing videos with some shtick or like to try and get views, that was never going to work for me. It just yeah. wasn't. That's not who I am. Um, and so it yeah. just that, it kind of took its own kind of took its own route from there. I, yeah. I mean, I struggled with that a little bit too. I, I wanted to do some form of content and tried to do a little bit of YouTube, but couldn't like find my little pocket of what I wanted to be doing. So the podcast kind of fell in naturally because I could just talk about what I love and instead of being fake and trying to put on a show about it. Right. Right. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things, even for me, you know, I've thought about, you know, and I, I look at a lot of the people that are doing videos and they, they are, you know, they're, they're doing the, the clickbait stuff, right. They're, they're enticing and they're doing things. And, and I'm not like that when I'm in my, my snake rush. I'm, I'm, I'm always honed in keyed in. I pay attention. Um, I I'm relaxed and I enjoy myself, but, but you know, I don't, I don't fuck around when I'm in there. And, and, and I don't either. Um, the, the other part for me that, and, and this still bothers me, especially in retics, there are so many ball Python breeders out there that do videos and they show their collection and they show their room and they show everything. Right. And there's still such this like shroud of mystery around retic breeders and how they do what they do. And like, they don't want to show their cages. And frankly, it's, in my opinion, it's because they know that, that that their shit stinks. Like they they know that it does, and they they're they're not proud of it. And that was always it's always been my thing. Like I'm proud of the way that I keep my snakes. I'm proud of the way that my animals live. Um, even though a lot of people say they're you know the cages are way too small, and we're gonna we're gonna get into that with the you know the caging sizes. But um, I, I always like to me it was like if you're proud of what you're doing, show it off. And I've always been proud of it. So. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that, that sentiment. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. A lot of the people that, you know, keep retics in very large numbers, um, you know, anybody who keeps a handful of retics for, for more than a few years knows that, you know, these snakes are messy. So, you know, and, uh, that's why I don't keep more than a handful. Right, of exactly, because it's a lot of freaking work, and and yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, when you got a one man show that that you know has you know seventy, eighty, you know, adult retakes, there's, I mean, there's just no freaking way. That's why the people don't want to show the collection. Um, right. Well, and and that, and again, I I've significantly downsized my collection. Um, you know, I've I've literally got sixteen cages and five tubs over here. Like that's, that's it now. And at the beginning of last year, there were 60 sub adult and adult retics in this building. Yeah, it was, it was nuts. It was nuts. And I mean, you know, fortunately, again, I'm in a position where I was able to afford to pay people to come up and help to make sure that I kept the snakes healthy and kept them clean. But it just also hit a point for me. It was like, why am I continuing to do this? Right. Like, what, what, what is the point of this? to continue at this level and it just didn't make sense anymore. Yeah. And, and, and that's always a very, like, you know, I, I, this is a generalization, but, but I think in general, um, 
most people uh, that that breed retics and that you know grow their collection have a large collection. They they hit that fork in the road, but I think like much fewer and far between people decide to downside because there's just something about. I don't know if it's an ego thing. I don't know if it's, you know, trying to, you know, the world's first thing or or wanting to, you know, scared if I downsize, I'm going to lose my name in the industry. And, you know, a lot of people don't choose that route, but oftentimes, um, you know, it's, it's the responsible route to take. Well, they don't, they don't choose the route and then their hand is forced. Right. Right. And that, that's the unfortunate thing. Like, you know, and, and, Again, we can we can talk about this at, at some point if you guys want. But to me, the the days of being a retic breeder that breeds a little bit of everything are over. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, like the market has shifted, and it's just it's not that way anymore. Like people want the best of the best. Um, you know, this is something that that Shane Costello was a good friend of mine. He and I talk about this all the time. Like. There's, you don't need to, as a breeder, you don't need to sell the dream to anybody anymore when it comes to retics because they can go buy the dream. Like right. there isn't anything that isn't available out there that like people need to go and really buy the hats and raise them up and then breed them themselves. Like whatever it is, like, you know, whether it's Ocelot or, I mean, even the Aztecs now we got those. So, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter what it is. You can go buy it. Yep. No, that's, that's totally that, true. That's why I've held out on Super Dwarf Anthrax. I, I don't need to be the first to create it. I know I can get it when it's it's available at the parameters I'm looking for. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, we we were talking about education a little bit, and and you know, Nathan, you know, brought up a really good point when me and him were talking about having you on and and how much education that you do in the public. Nathan, yeah. you want to dive into this topic real quick before we get into the the large enclosures? Well, I mean, that's how Weston and I's path crossed was just education at the local shows. Um I think it was the the first year you were out there, you were you were just doing the main fuller education like once or twice a day, I believe, right? So, yeah, so the when I first moved to Utah, the only show that was here was the Wasatch Expo. Um Yeah. And when I, when I did the show for the first time, um, and I got to meet Guy and Lori, I told them like, Hey, you know, this is something I've done in the past at other shows. If you're interested, let me know. Like, you know, I I'm going to bring the big snakes no matter what, but if you're interested in me doing like a presentation, like I'm happy to do that. Um, and they were like, absolutely. Yeah. We'd love that. Um, and so that's just kind of how it started. And, you know, frankly, it, it, the, the presentation started um, in Colorado <coughs> because a show promoter, um, actually it was Ryan from the Reptilian Nation Expo, okay. he, just, he just asked me um, uh, before one show, he's like, hey man, would you possibly be interested in doing a presentation? Actually, I think it was one of his, one of the expos, his venomous guy, the permits didn't come in in time, so he couldn't bring his venomous to do his venomous show. And so there wasn't really like there was a crocodilian show, um, but there wasn't really anybody doing snakes. And Ryan knew that I always brought at least one big snake. And so he just came up. He's like, hey, would you do a presentation? And I was like, sure, I guess. Um, and I had no idea really what I was going to say. And I got up there and I think I talked for, I don't know, five minutes. And I was like, I think you guys really just want to see a big snake. Right. And they're like, yeah, kind of. OK, cool. Like, here, let me get the big snake out. And, and, right. 
you know, fortunately, again, for me, I have a, a number of animals that are so well tempered that I can pull them out mm -hmm. and have 30, 40, 50, 80 people come up, pet them, interact with them, take pictures with them. And I don't have to worry about it. Um, and so it kind of grew from there where I, I was just, I was doing one or two a day at every show that I went to. Um, and the more I did them, the more I, you know, would think about what I wanted to say and what I wanted to impart, um, you know, and at a, at an expo, you've got such a mix of people. You've got people that are literally just there for the spectacle of it. Like they have right. no idea or interest or genuine interest in keeping reptiles. And then you've got, you know, people that are heavily, heavily into, into reptiles. But the interesting thing is, is that even within the reptile community, most people, have never really seen or interacted with a big retic. Like it, it's not something <clears throat> very many people have. Um, and so that's one reason that I do it. The other reason is, is at least I can impart some credible information to people about what these snakes are and what they're not. Because frankly, retics still have a terrible reputation, even within the, the uh, reptile community. People think that they're just these big mean evil animals and it's like if you ever actually spend any time with one you would have a very different opinion yeah absolutely so that that's kind of where the, the education thing came from um and frankly you know i i do expos sure i'm there to sell snakes but i don't ever go to an expo with the expectation that i'm gonna walk out of there you know having sold 10 plus snakes in a, in, a, in a weekend like that's just not it, it it's not applicable right like there's just not that many people walking through the door that mm -hmm. one are looking for a retick or two are prepared for a retick um and so if i'm there i might as well try to get you know something more out of it and frankly the part for me that that i enjoy the most is the kids like the, the yep. look the look on like a five-year-old's face when they walk up and I'm holding this 19 foot snake, it, it, it's just, it, it's yeah, amazing. It's all. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I remember being a kid and going to the zoo and seeing that yellow Burmese Python, you know, when I was five, like I still like in my mind, I have a hazy picture and this image that I see and you know, that blew my mind. Um, and then, you know, when you, when you get to, interact right because I, I you know i don't know it's probably it is innate right but it is also culturally learned as well um to, to fear snakes and so you know that little kid is always just kind of like tiptoeing at first right like and then you you get to finally interact with the animal and and you know that that's where a lot of kids um you know i love having guests on our podcast and and the you know how they say they got into snakes was you know, someone went to their school or, or they went to a show when they were a kid mm -hmm. and they learned and they got to interact and, and, you know, it's, it, it resonates with me cause that was me, but also just, um, you know, fear is a very powerful emotion. And, and when, when we can overcome a fear that, that, that 99% of people are afraid of very young in life, um, I think that that's huge. Oh, and yeah. when I, I've seen it with Weston's education, when 10 kids get up there and start holding the snake with Weston and their parents are all shocked watching from the sidelines. So, you know, perception changes really quick. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I think that, that, you know, I, I, 
it's something that I have yet to do, but something that I've always wanted to do um, is do public education. And, and you know, what I talked about that a little bit when, you know, we had Intrepid Exotics on. Um, but I just, I, you know, I think it's huge that you, you do that. It's, it's a way to, to give back and to educate. Um, and you do it in a way that that's actually responsible. Well, um, and, and, and without Weston, I don't think I would have ended up doing it at all. I've gone out to those same shows and, you know, I'm just uh, an admin of one of our local, uh, reptile pages here, but, you know, I'll bring out a retic so kids can get hands on and, you know, we can, you know, have those moments of interaction, but it's just people like you that have pushed me to do those kinds of things. Right. Well, I, I'm glad, I'm glad that you are, man. And, and that's the thing, you know, like it, for me that, like I said, the, that's the most enjoyment I get out of the show because frankly, I get real tired of answering the exact same question 10 times over, uh, like just on, on, on the loop. Right. And I get it. Like, cause people yeah. don't know, I'm going to continue to answer the questions, but, um, no, no, we've been there talking, holding snakes and talking industry talk. And I've heard you, you know, those, those repeat, you know, answers, but you yeah. know, you're still there for it and you're present for every little bit of it. Well, and, and, and my, my point was the, the thing I, the enjoyment I get is, is the kids. And like, you know, I'll, I'll answer if I've got 10 adults and I've got one kid, I will talk to that one kid over the 10 adults. I don't, I don't care if they're all trying to buy a snake for me. Like I'll talk to the kid just because again, like I, I want them to have that positive experience, that positive interaction and that positive memory that like same thing, you know, we all had something as a kid that like we remember with reptiles and like, if I can be the guy to impart that to a child, that for me is. is yeah. That's it. a win, man. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I mean, we've had phenomenal conversation, but I think it's time for us to like dive into large retakes. Um, okay. You know, I, I'm not going to lie. When you made that video and you were downsizing and you were going to focus on the larger localities and the larger animals in the back of my mind, I was thinking that's a really dumb marketing strategy. But then, but then I paused for a second and after a couple days I was in, and, and, and you, you posted a couple more videos I was like, no, at this point, dude, the guy just wants to do what he has a passion for. And he's getting away from yeah. the mainstream breeder mentality that I got to do it all. And you found a niche in your market. And I was like, no, that's actually pretty damn genius. Um, so, so, you know, I, I want to know um, what, what, you know, obviously you, you said before you, you love huge retics but like what what drove you to like really saying like no this is the direction that i'm going to do in in an industry right now that everybody wants the the corn snake size retic well so number one part of what drew me to retics in the first place is the size right like i i've again i've shared enough stuff on social media like i grew up with big ass rottweilers like i like big animals if I lived in a state like Texas, I'd have a fucking lion sitting next to me. Okay. <laughs> like, like that's just, that's what I like. Um, that's part of it. The other part was it really came down to one animal that ch completely changed my trajectory. Um, and one of your, your Patreon members actually uh, asked about, uh, asked about her and that was Nefertiti. Yeah. Um, I didn't have Nefi that long. Um, you know, she was not, 
she was not a snake that I raised from a baby. Um, I got her because of an unfortunate situation. Um, another guy in Colorado um, who became a friend through the the, the, the ordeal with Nephi, um, his name's Sean Rutherford. He raised Nephi literally from a hatchling. He bought her from a pet store in, uh, in a, from Scales and Tails in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, raised her up. And unfortunately, he lived in an area where of, of Colorado where they had a size restriction. He had her out in his yard in the middle of summer. Neighbors looked over the fence. They called animal control. Animal, animal control gave him 30 days to get rid of the snake or they were going to seize it. When I got Nephi, she was every bit of 20 feet long. And I have some big, big retics here. They don't hold a candle how big Nephi was. She was uh, impressive. That that was the snake, if I'm not mistaken, that was on the nebulizer when you came to Utah, right? No. So oh. Nephi died on the trip to Utah. Okay. Yeah, Nephi uh, had the big tumor or yes. or mass that was basically just sucking blood and, and energy. Well, um, it, so she had that tumor when I got her. And I asked Sean about it and he said he'd had it biopsied and it wasn't cancerous. And, and the vet said, you know, hey, just leave it alone. And I had, it was probably like two years into me keeping her, into me having her, right? Uh, yeah, because I, ha- I only had her for about two and a half years. Um, but I, I got I to do the backstory on this. So again, when I got Nephi, I literally had to call. So you guys both know Mark Ryland. Mm-hmm. Mark, I've known I've known I've known Mark for over a decade. I, I literally, when I talked about my first retick in the eight foot cage I had in my in my office, that cage came from Mark. I literally found him through an ad on Craigslist in Colorado. Wow. Um, so that's how that's like how far back Mark and uh, Mark and I go. And so when I knew I was getting Nephi, I called him, and this is actually a great segue into the cage discussion. I called Mark and I said, hey, I need a big cage. And he's like, how big? And I said, I need a 10-foot cage. And he was like, hmm, all right. He's like, how deep? And I was like, I need a 10 by 3 by 18. And he's like, what's it for? I go, a big-ass retick. And he's like, all right. He's like, give me a couple weeks. Let me see what I can come up with. And literally, I would – and this is was the beauty where my shop was and where Mark lived was 15 minutes from each other. So literally he's building this cage and I'm going over there every week and like, no, that's not going to work. Like, no, that's not going to work. Yes, that'll work. Like, yeah, do it that way. So Mark built me my first 10 foot cage. And I actually still have it. It's right over here um, for Nephi because when I went to see her, she was in an eight by three because the, the guy built his own cage, you know, plywood he did what he, he did he did the best he could right to build to build her a good, a good cage but i took one look at her and i was like yo that that isn't gonna work like i can't i can't do that right um and so i got her i went to pick her up and mark went with me and mark Mark has seen some big retakes, right? Like he's, he's been around, he ran a, a, a pet story. Like he's done the whole deal. And we walked in and we pulled her out and he just looked at me and he goes, yo, you are out of your mind. Like, <laughs> literally you guys have all seen the big totes that I use to put snakes in. 
She yeah. filled it. She filled that tote. Top to bottom? Pretty much. There was literally a six-inch gap. Because I've seen easily a 17-foot retake of yours in a tote, and it only fills it up halfway. Yeah, there was like a six-inch gap to the top. <laughs> What like, a lot of people don't realize about big retakes, man, when you go from 17 to 18 feet or 18 to 19 feet, it's a hell of a lot more snake than, than 12 inches. Difference. Yeah, it's a massive difference. So anyways, Mark came with me. We loaded up in the truck. And we're driving back, and he's like, so she doesn't seem like she's too bad-tempered. And I was like, yeah. I was like, I don't really know. I was like, I've only interacted with her one time. I was like, all that Sean told me was don't ever – take a take a chance with her when she's hungry because she got a hold of him one time and he almost had to kill her to get him to, to get her off and and i was like okay so we hey, get her hey, back excuse me <laughs> no, no dude like she 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 grabbed a hold of sean and started to wrap him like she, yeah she, and wow. that, that's a 20 foot snake man i don't even know how the hell you get that thing off yeah so we get her back we get her in the cage Again, this is when I, and this was my first facility, which all it was, was my old grow facility that I just repurposed into, in, into a, a reptile snake room. And again, I'm working, this is before I had employees, I'm working by myself and I'm not going to let the snake sit in its own excrement. Like I'm, I have to get it out. And so I would, same thing. I would go live like, Hey, I'm getting Nephi out. But the level of respect that you have to have, and I, I genuinely compare it to working with a bear, a tiger, a lion. Mm -hmm. Like when you're working with a snake that size, that is not only fully capable of killing you, but potentially could eat you. Like the confidence that they have and, and the way that they act it's a whole different ballgame and like building the trust that I built with that snake to where I could just pick her up, move her around. Like I couldn't hold her. Right. I mean, at her, there's at no her, way at, well, at her heaviest, she was 222 pounds. Like she, she outweighed me. Like I could barely just hold a portion of her like this. Right. Like a five foot portion. Yeah. Um, but it changed the way that I even I looked at retics because there's retics and then there's that. And, I, and I've said it <laughs> in a lot of posts, like there's big snakes and then there's giants yeah. and giants are just a different ball game. And like after having her and then especially losing her and losing her the way that I did, like I, I remember when I first got here to Utah, because again, she literally died on the trip over here. Like it, it was a, it, it was a one day trip and we got here, we got all the cages out. We were putting snakes in one by one by one. And she was, I had her all the way up in the, in the transport van right behind my seat. She was, she was the last one to come out and I opened the tub and I looked, I, I literally took one look at her and I go, Oh my fucking God. Like I knew she was dead. Was I, I remember seeing some of those posts, like right as you got here, the weeks after. So yeah, like Nephi definitely like rung a bell as you you brought her up. Yeah, like I I couldn't. I literally took her cage and stuck it in the corner. Like I couldn't look at it. Like it it, it messed me up. And mm -hmm. I 
I've lost a lot. I don't want to say a lot. I've lost a number of snakes over the years because of the number of snakes that I have kept. Things happen. We know this. Like snakes get sick. Things happen. Snakes die. Like sometimes it's just complete freak accidents. Sometimes you do everything you can. You can't say yeah. I've never really had one that like just cut, like just cut me deeply until her. And again, I didn't raise her, but it yeah. was, it, it was the level of the, like the relationship that I had to develop. And I used to make fun of people that said they developed relationships with their snake. No, like when it, when it comes to some of these animals, like there is a legitimate relationship there. There's an understanding. And I had that with her. Um, and so losing her and not having a true giant in my collection, it just left this massive hole. Like, and it just, and it didn't matter. I got more snakes. I got this snake. I got that snake, but like nothing, nothing was the same. Nothing was her and maybe nothing ever will be. I don't know. Right. Like she may have just been like that, that one of a kind and, and I, I'm perfectly okay if she is. But to answer your question, like what made me want to make that shift? Like, I don't get excited about little snakes. I don't really get excited about smaller retics. They just, they don't, they don't bring that out in me. Right. When I got to pull Valkyrie out, my 19 foot Sulawesi that, yeah, sometimes she's okay. And sometimes she's not, <laughs> that does it for me. And my wife hates it. Like she absolutely hates it <laughs> because she wishes that I would be completely content with like some corn snakes, but like, there's something about work or no snakes. Exactly. Yes. Or no snakes. That would, that would probably be preferable. Um, but there's something about, and again, even with like with Alice, Alice is a huge snake, right? But because I've had her since she literally fit around my arm, like I look at her and yeah, she's, She's a, a big, big animal, but the, it doesn't flip that switch for me. Like mm -hmm. it, it's just not quite there. Valkyrie flips that switch for me. This Malay Sula female. That, that's like only <laughs> what? Five years old, four years old. Not even Th four. Yeah. Not even four. It's already like what? 15 feet. She's pushing 17. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> So, so let me let, let me ask you this. Um, you know, I know I'm skipping ahead here a little bit, but um, or actually no, I'm not. But I, I'm I'm curious. Um, what what do you think is is like what what's the game plan? What's the ticket? How are you? How how like are you what, talking in in terms of just like breeding to get larger size? Yeah, yeah. Like what? Because I mean, yeah, I mean, just captive retics aren't aren't that big anymore. I mean, we're not looking no, at these. Ma mainlands are shrinking because we're maintenance feeding, and super dwarfs are are getting big because we're we're reversing insular dwarfism, and so you know mainlands are getting smaller. You you're trying to develop larger larger animals. How in your mind are you, you, you know, what's the strategy? Well, th th there's a few different strategies. Number one, um, the amount of wild caught blood that I have in my collection now that isn't watered down, that right. isn't generations of captive bred. Number two, the reduction in morphs, AKA mutations. I love the morphs. I love mutations. However, there's a very 
looming fact that I think the entire reptile community wants to overlook. These mutations are just that. They're a mutation. And in a lot of cases, they are a defect. And we continue to breed them on top of each other over and over and over and over again. And part of why I made the decision to go to localities is because I got really, really tired of cutting open eggs and seeing kinked backs, half faces, no eyes, like all of these different defects. Yeah. Especially with the large animals you were working with, you're having large clutches. So, so yeah. you're, you're, you're getting a very large sample size and seeing what's coming out and you, you that's what you were seeing. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, we'll talk about culling and, and whenever you want to get to it, but like, I got tired. I got really tired of being like, Oh, well shit, there's 25% of the clutch that, I would never put out to the public because it's completely flawed. Like, or it's so bad. Like I can't, I have to put it down. Like it's not going to survive on its own. Right. So that was part of it. Um, but as far as like, how am I going to put the size back into the retic, into, into retics? Number one, this is another part that, that I see most people, most retic keepers, don't actually even know the true size potential of the snake that they have or snakes that they have because they don't keep them long enough. Right. There's, there is this just massive recycling of with breeders of, Oh, I put these two together. I got what I needed. Get rid of them, bring in these like, and it's just over and over and over again. And it's why you don't see people with collections that have an average age over five or six years. They're feeding the snakes as fast as they can to get them to breeding size to just recycle them out to get other snakes. Right. And so it's like, and for instance, I had no idea that Alice was going to be 19 feet. Now she's turning 10 years old this year. Like I, and I've had her, I got her when she was two. So I've had that snake for eight years. If I hadn't kept her, if I had just recycled her, I would have never known how big she would actually, she was actually going to be. Right. Do you remember how old or how big she was at like four years old or, you oh, know, yeah. breeding oh, I size? Yeah. I, I, I've got pictures of her all through her life. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, if, at five years old, she was probably 14, 15, maybe 15 feet. So nothing, nothing to write home about. No, no. And, and now she is, you know, but right. again, people don't keep the snakes long enough. So that, so that's part of it is I, I don't think most breeders actually know what the, the true genetic potential of their snake is because one, either they don't feed it enough and it goes one of two ways. They either overfeed it to try and get it big as big as possible, or they don't feed it enough for it to reach its genetic potential. And I've right. talked about this plenty on my social media. Number two, they don't keep the snake long enough. So, and, and not even just keep the snake long enough, but uh, you know, we can dive deep into this and it'll take hours. So we won't, but just like, I mean, how many people 
you know, can you, that have been keeping retakes for 20, 30 years, how, how many people actually are like, Hey, here is my 15 year old retic. Like how many of those animals are actually out there? Um, very few. And exactly. And, and I know that because, so I lost my Bali yellowhead. That was a no how production Man. last year. Mm-hmm. It, it sold to me as a male. It was a female, which I proved that out. She died at 18 years old. Like, and anytime I would post her on one of the, let's see your oldest retic threads, she would be the oldest one. Yeah. It's insane. Like no people don't have, but here's, here's the thing. I'm looking around right now. The youngest snakes in here in my cages are four years old. I can count one, two, three, four, five. There's five snakes that are 10 years plus in this collection. Yeah. And that, but those are also some of my biggest snakes. Like, you know, and part of what I learned after having Nephi and talking to Sean, he flat out told me, he was like, dude, he's like, she's still growing. And she was four, she was 13 when I got her. And he was like, she's still growing. And she was like, when, when I took her to Colorado state university to have that tumor removed and they anesthetized her, they were the ones that measured her at 21 and a half feet on the money. Like that's so not, not a, not a bullshit measurement either. <laughs> no. I, I, I never measured her. I didn't tape her. That was from Colorado State University. They weighed her. They measured her. 222 pounds, 21 and a half feet long. I got to say, anesthetized probably is the best way to measure a retake. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or when it's dead. But Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there are some out there that will argue, well, their body relaxes, so they're actually longer under anesthesia. I don't know. Uh, you, you can't you yeah. can't create length out of thin air. So. That's, that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> but there are people that argue that. So yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, but, but yeah. So I mean, that's what made me want to go that direction. As far as how I'm going to get there, honestly, right now, and I I told Nathan this before we hopped on. I didn't do a single pairing this year, mm-hmm. not one. I probably won't do any this coming season either. Um, when I, Lucas, when I told you if you wanted a Sula, you needed to get it. Like I meant it. Like I'm not making. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not making any for a while. Um, and part of the reason, I, and I haven't really made this public, but I'm never going to breed my my Wilkins line female. I'm okay. Never gonna, I'm never going to breed her. And then I made that decision after the research that I've done. And what I saw happen with Aaron Ingalls female, what I saw happen with Jake's female, um, it isn't worth it to me to try to get a clutch out of her for her to die. Yeah. It's just just not. You know, and and I don't know what the issue with that line of Sula's are. I will say, and, and, you know, we don't, I will say I've heard something weird. We've all heard it. We've all heard it. It's, it's, you know, and, and I, you know, this idea that that they were you know burnt at the tip with a, a little is that what you're talking about that, well, that they were basically sterilized yeah. yeah that they were sterilized and then you yeah. know obviously if you you do that in a non-veterinary practice there's still the chance that they can but that opens up the can for you know a, a complications right 
Right. And, and I don't know as I really believe that. Yeah. I think genetically there just may be something off with them. I, um, I would say that's probably that's that's more probable right like who knows how to castrate a a, a, re, a retake I also, properly i will also say this um i only know one person and, and luke you you both know him i and, and he he left the industry he left the country whatever he's the only person i know that's successfully successfully bred sulas in captivity besides terry wilkins yeah um and he told me all the all the things, all the secrets on how to get Sula's to breed. I've tried to cycle this female. She she doesn't want to cycle, and I know for a fact that the other two Wilkins females that were that did cycle that were bred, they were fed so heavily to get them to go. I genuinely believe that that was also part of the problem. Could have been. And, and again, I have no scientific evidence to back that up, but I, I just have to think that when you throw that much food at an animal, that it's going to cause some issues somewhere along the line. Um, and I'm not willing to do that to this snake. And again, I've tried dropping her temps at different times. She doesn't want to cycle. And so for me, it's like, I'm, I'm not going to risk her life just to try to get a clutch. And so you know, when I had that last, last clutch of Sula's and I told people, if you want one, you better get one. Like I have another female Sula here. Um, and I, at some point will breed her, but it's going to be years. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and that, that's it's just the way it is. Um, but that's part of when you ask what my strategy is, part of my strategy right now is time. Right. I'm just going to wait and see, I'm going to let these pure Malaysians that I have grow. I'm going to let these Malay Sulas grow. Um, you know, I'm going to let my pure Sulas that I have grow. You you and, can make pure Malaysians, right? Yeah. Perfect. All right. That's all I needed to know. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I can make pure Malaysians. I can make pure yeah, what, what, what What localities do you have? Let, let's go through that because I want to talk about that because I, I, you know, when it comes to like the strategy of what you are doing to try to make big animals, I think the, the waiting right? Because, you know, in theory, big snakes are going to make big snakes, right? Um, but but then, you know, I, I, in my mind, I'm thinking the, the diversity, like the diversity with the locality, and like you mentioned, the wild caught or, or the F1 bloodlines, I think are going to play a massive role. And I'm just curious, what, what localities do you have? So I obviously, I have several pure Sulas, um, both captive bred and wild caught. Um, I have a pair of F1 Malaysians, pure Malaysians. I have the pair of Malaysian Sulawesi crosses, which are probably the snakes I am most excited about. Like yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're beautiful and they're massive, dude. And, and they are, you had better respect them. Like you had better respect them. They're, they, so here's the really interesting thing. So I actually bred that male Malay Sula last season to a Moshino female and got a clutch. Babies are 25% Sula, 25% Malaysian. The locality influence on those animals is insane. Oh, absolutely. And they're the way that they act, the way that they move. It, it, it's, oh, there go the lights on the cages. Um, but it, it it it's 
it's just not the same as multi-generation captain bread retics. Yeah. Um, so, but to continue, I have a wild caught Saram. Um, I have a questionable background locality, uh, Ambon locality male. I like um, to call but, those like Ambon types, right? It looks yeah. like an Ambon, yeah. not a hundred percent sure, but it, it, yeah. it looks like it. Yep. It's an Ambon type. Um, and then I have an F, uh, F1 Sumatran male. Nice. So, uh, and then of course the Bali, the Bali yellowhead. I have my Bali yellowhead female. So awesome. Um, that, that's is, a- is that the one that always gave you problems breeding that Bali? So she was, yes, um, until I finally started really figuring out. So, and, and this is, Lucas, I'm sure you're figuring this out with doing the locality stuff. Locality animals don't just breed. Yeah. You actually have to work them into breeding and hammering them full of food isn't really the strategy either. Like you actually have to cycle them. Like there's a whole process with it and frankly when i was all those years i was trying to breed the bali i just didn't have the experience to know how to do it and it finally i figured it out and now i know how to do it um it also it also didn't help that for two seasons you were putting another female in with her Mm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that uh that definitely definitely, that'll do it that definitely factored in a bit better than throwing two males in so i mean let's let's call it win a win here Yes. No, but, but Weston, I, I agree actually. So with, with, you know, all of my animals and because 90% of them are localities, um, you know, I, I do that, I, I do a, like a, you know, a drought, you know, I'll feed them maybe once, maybe twice in like a two month period. Yeah. Um, and then in that process, you know, each year that I'm doing my ambient temperatures, I'm dropping those ambient temps lower and lower and lower, you know, there, there was someone who just went on a herp trip that was on NPR and they talked about at night seeing Bali's out there and it, it was 66 degrees. And it's yeah. like, and, and, and we, we think just, you know, we think the 74 ambient in our house plus a hot spot at 84 being dropped is, is cold enough. And for some it's not. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's not. Um, the thing is, for me, and, and I'll, I'll share this, night drops, mm-hmm. night drops made a huge difference. Yeah. For me, you can't, you can, but you're really running a, a risk, I think, to just drop your temps into the high 60s, low 70s and leave them there. Oh, yeah. You're, you're running a risk, especially keeping your cages moist the way you should. You're running a risk of, of, de- of your female developing an RI. You just For are. Sure. But if you're night dropping every single night, I feel like that risk is significantly mitigated and you're still pushing them towards that cycle. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, for me, what's lucky is in the garage and I keep only ambient is when my, my, you know, night cycle drops, it's, it's with the weather outside. So it's a gradual, it's not like I unplug a heat source and then within an hour and a half, the, temperature is is you know 15 degrees low it, it's a nice gradual and then during the day it just climbs back up right it, it um, mimics the natural swings in right. their natural environment and that works imagine that right um you know you, you mentioned it before culling um and you know you you were you're probably the only person that i know of at least that's come out on a uh you know, on a, on a podcast and has talked about like, you know, 
appropriate culling of, of retake hatchlings and why that happens. But, um, you know, I'm curious what, what is it like, what, what makes it, you know, appropriate for you? And, and, you know, I know that this is a very heated and, and debatable discussion and, I'm not a black and white person. I see a lot of gray area in a lot of areas. And so, you know, it's, it was ear opening listening to you talk about that. Just some people don't like to really hear the reality of things. Well, no, nobody likes to talk about killing snakes. That's like, that's not fun. Right. However, and you and I were just talking about this before Lucas, it started with the deformities that were coming because I would not, I will not, have never, will never sell an animal with deformities. I won't do it. And I've seen them all. I've seen no eyes. I've seen one eye. I've seen half faces. I've seen so, such bad kinks that, that yeah. they like, I've seen all of it. Can, can I ask you something that I sure. I found in, in my last uh, breeding season? Sure. I'm actually getting this animal back. I, I had one animal that displayed a, an enlarged heart right off the bat. Uh, but then I had one that looked normal before I sent it out. And then a few months later, developed an enlarged heart. Have you seen anything like that? I have. Um, and in in it, in my experience, it presents usually pretty quickly. I've never had one that... I want to say this was like five months after its birth. How long, how long was it in your care? Uh, three months. Okay. Yeah, that could definitely be genetics. Um, I, I it, it's hard to say, right? Yeah. Because even in eight weeks, the care that a snake receives could influence what happens with it greatly. Like, sure. It, it just can't. So if you would have the snake the entire time, I, it, it, to me, it would be a little bit different. I, I, so I, I know after it got to its new home, I, it was re- refusing some frozen thawed and the owner, uh, I, I advised to feed live, fed live, uh, but then it, it wouldn't re- uh, eat frozen thawed. So he refused to buy live and then let it go on a hunger strike until it decided to eat again, which was one of my red flags. It's like, uh, no, you need to get calories in that snake. It's, it's within it's like most crucial time of growing. Right. So you said you're getting the snake back. Yeah. So is it diagnosed with an enlarged heart from a vet? It, it just from pictures, just from pictures from what I see. So, I mean, right. so I, I need to get about- hands on this animal. So you're talking about basically a lump that's formed above the stomach. I, I dude, I'll I'll tell you once I I see this animal in my care again. Okay, because so I I if we're talking about the same thing, yeah, I've seen it and I've I've mm-hmm. actually had it develop in hatchlings that I was still caring for here. Because I've seen some hard belly stuff where it'll present as a lump like shortly after a meal, but will go away. Right. This I'm talking about is way further up in the body, though. Yeah, like yeah, I get you. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they just swell up. And yeah. it's, it, it, it's not hard, <clears throat> almost kind of jelly to the touch. It, it's very... It, 
initially, like the first time I ever saw it, I don't remember what it was. First time I ever saw it, I thought it was that they weren't digesting their food the right way. And so I'm like, I'm trying to like massage it. Right. And like, it's not going away and it's like, yeah. not yeah. going away. And then it doesn't want to eat at, because it's, you know, because it's enlarged. Like yeah. it, I ended up putting the snake down. Right. Because what are you yep. going to do? What, what are you going to do? do surgery on it like you can't remove the part right? <laughs> no, I, yeah i get that so it's it, and this is kind of where i come from or, or the perspective that i come from when it comes to culling mm -hmm. there are so many retics being produced on an annual basis that if we as a community are not policing ourselves and adhering to only putting out the best healthiest specimens possible we are literally dooming our own industry if we are putting out snakes that we know have genetic defects to be bred and frankly i saw this in the dog industry when i was breeding pit bulls i saw it there i literally watched an industry fold in on itself and implode because people just accepted breeding deformities as, because it, because it was, Oh, well it, it's this one deformity and everything else about the dog is great. No, 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 no. That one deformity makes that dog not breedable. Like you should not do it. It's no different with, with, with these snakes. And if we as breeders are not policing ourselves to say, I'm only going to put out the absolute best specimens of what I produce, we are all then contributing to the eventual demise of this species. It's, it's really that simple. Yeah, we can't right? import anymore. No, like, we can't. No, I mean we, and that—that's the biggest factor there. It's—it's it's not as easy as people think to put new blood into things to, to kind of soften up the gene pool a little bit. And, and you know what's sad is probably here in the next like seven years. Almost every wild caught retex is going to be dead. And a lot of people don't realize that, you uh, know, they don't realize it and, or they don't care because no. they don't actually understand the ramifications of what that means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, so when, when it comes to, you know, polling, um, you know, I, I think another part you know, that I, that I heard you talk about on the podcast as well with coaling is, is this idea that, you know, we, we have animals that are, are hatching 60, 70, you know, hatchlings. And, you know, like you mentioned the thousands and thousands and thousands of retakes that are produced each year. Um, well, and we're talking about giant retakes tonight too. How many people are willing to get one of those eight to 10 foot enclosures that you see behind Weston? Right, exactly. And I mean, you know, the, 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 so like, is, 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 you know, there's this ethical dilemma of, you know, do I just sell everything at like a hundred bucks and, and, you know, who knows where they go, you know, what kind of homes they go to at that price or do we do population control? Um, you know, yeah. what, what are your thoughts? Number one, I actually find that my normals go to better homes than the morphs do. Right. It's the people looking for pets and want to pamper the shit out of it, right? Yep. All the all the morph stuff, you know, people are out there to, you know, make the next best morph and you know it they're, I totally they're get there, that. They're there to buy it, breed it, 
and Flip move it. on. Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's a three thousand dollar snake. That's what they're going to do with it. Yeah. Like that. That's just the reality of it. The localities. It's another reason why. And, and again, so part of what made me shift. Actually, Nathan, you brought up the Bali clutch. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't trying to produce that clutch. I was just trying to see if that female would bring. If yeah, she would yeah, be. no that that's what I was more invested in, and more than Bali yellowheads is is that female going to go? Yeah, right. And so I put that that F one tiger in there because he was proven, just to see what he would do. I literally left him in there for a day. That was it. And at that point in time, I didn't know that my other Bali yellowhead wasn't a male. That was the breeding that I wanted to happen, right? And when the tiger was very clearly displaying breeding behavior and she wasn't rejecting him, it was like, oh, okay, like this, this could go. And when she popped out all those eggs, it was like, well, I don't know what's what here. Like, I don't, maybe these are pure Bali yellowheads. I, I don't know. So obviously I stuck the whole clutch in the incubator. And then when I cut them open and the third egg I cut open, it was a tiger. It was like, oh no, these are not pure ball yellowheads. Okay. My, my point with that was that um, in, in terms of the culling, I had never produced a clutch of straight normals. I had like, had I gotten normals in other clutches? Sure, random one or two here, there, whatever, no big deal. But I'd never made a clutch of normals. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at a tub of 30 normals. And I'm like, yo, these things are amazing. Like, look at the differences in these. And it, it literally, like, the same clutch, but they were completely different animals. And so it was like, like it, that just kind of flipped a switch in me. It was like, yo, like this is almost cooler than the morphs. Like the morphs, it's like, okay, yeah, that's that, that's that, that's that, that's that. It's like really easy. And okay. Yeah, it's cool, but it's so simple. And with the normals, it was like, wait, which one is this? Like, I don't hang on. And like, you really got to study them to like see the intricacies of the pattern and like the different, the, the, uh, the way the reticulated pattern either moves down the sides or doesn't like the saddles and like all the different aspects of the pattern. And it really just like kind of caught my interest. And so then with the localities, like that's again, what kind of segue to that. However, coming back to the culling, I was looking at literally 30 normals and I think I had 25 tigers. Now I knew the tigers would sell. I knew it. Like tigers, nobody made nobody makes just straight tigers anymore. A lot of people still love them; they're super cool. I not only that, but 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 F one tiger too. So we're talking about good old school looking tigers. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I knew those would sell. Okay, cool. I looked. I looked at the normals, and I was like, okay, I got thirty normals. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of normals to try and sell. I'm like, I know I can sell them, but that's a lot, and so. Initially, it was like, all right, which ones are the strongest, right? Like, which which ones are genetically the strongest? And when you guys are breeders, you know, like, you can see it in babies. Like, some of them just aren't very strong. And I was like, okay, yeah. we're going to call the ones that aren't strong. Like, there's just no sense in putting those out. They're not that strong. We're going to call those. So I did. And then it was like, okay. And I made a decision with that clutch. I'm up until that point. I had always force fed 
animals that wouldn't eat as, as hatchlings. Like it was like, no, 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 you're going to eat. You're going to eat. You're going to eat. And at that point I was like, no, like I'm not force feeding a single thing. I've, I've done that with this second clutch I've produced and I'll never do it again. Yeah. yeah. I, I did that with the first clutch that I produced because, you know, yeah, was, this is the first one I'm raising and just, it, it's, yeah, not. I just, it, it's, it, I feel like for a lot of people, once you go through that experience, if you, it's, you just, I don't know, man, it's, it's a lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of work and then heartbreak at the end for the most part. And, and again, it's putting out animals that are, you know, it's, very unless you intend on keeping them as a pet just yeah it's right right well so i I do think there are exceptions and i'll say this i force fed some of the sulas from that sula clutch and the reason that i did and and lucas you may see this with with the slayers as well some of these localities their their metabolisms move so fast that if you don't force feed them they will they will starve themselves out but if you force feed them, they will come on and they'll be just fine. There were, I don't know, probably half a dozen animals, maybe seven animals in that Sula clutch that I had to force feed and all, and all but one, there was one male in that clutch that I ended up having to, to, to put down. Um, all the rest of them turned on and, and, and were great. But as a rule of thumb, I don't force feed. And that started with that um, Tiger Bali clutch because I was like, I'm not going to force feed these normals. I'm not going to do it. And so if they don't eat within a certain time frame, they're done. And so the podcast that I talked about this originally on, on MJ's podcast, where you probably heard this and, and he kind of like took a, a hard line. Ah, oh, no, 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 dude. Like, that's not the right thing to do. And I, and I put it to him like this. I said, okay, so let's say you're a retail career. Mm-hmm. You just dropped a clutch of 70 eggs. I said, you got two choices. Take 35 eggs and throw them in the trash right now and take the other 35 and put them in the incubator and take your chances at whatever your odds are with whatever you're trying to make. You take your chances right there. And he was like, uh, I'm like, ah, see right there. That's yeah, the breed that that's the, the breeder in you. The like, way I look at it, even with my super dwarf clutches with 20 animals to raise up, uh, and that that's on the high end, right? Like mm-hmm. if I were to do that same thing, I mean, it, it's a hell of a lot better than having to, to call off those five or six animals after they're already developed and out of the egg. It's a lot less hard on me. That's for damn sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I but, mean, I go ahead, Wesson. Well, but, and that was my point is like, I'm not going to throw out those 35 eggs. I'm going to put them all in the incubator and I'm going to let them hatch out. And what, and the best examples I'm going to keep the ones that aren't are going to get cold and I'm going to feed them to my monitors. And if that makes me a bad guy, okay, fine. I'll be a bad guy. Like, but at the same time, like I look at it like this, where do people think, the, the people that keep uh, that keep king cobras, what do they eat? They eat snakes. Yeah, yep. indigos where, or where, right or indigos. Where do people think those come from? Where do people think their food comes from? It's people calling out other snakes. Like that's you know it, it happens. It happens in every other industry. Just again, people don't want to talk about it. Well, and that's why if I were overwhelmed with eggs, I, I think that's why I would throw out is I, I don't have that garbage disposal at the moment i i've thought about it definitely being a breeder of these animals i mean you, if 
you have an excess animals that you know just don't thrive or whatever you know it's nice to be able to just use those and use them sustainably yeah and i mean so where 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 my mind goes with this um you know and if i catch heat then so be it but um just just my honest thoughts um if you have a game plan and you you know that you are going to be responsibly calling genetically inferior animals right like that that's that's okay we're we're here we're producing animals that most people are breeders to buy why am i going to sell you an animal that that is not genetically you know superior right that doesn't have good genetics so that right there if anyone has a problem with that you know then then i i, I can't even there's no way me and that person can have a conversation and see right. eye to eye if they're going to get pissed off about that but then when it comes to a lot of animals right I feel like if you have a plan, it's no different than than raising rodents to put down to give to us for feeders is the way that I see it because they have the plan that they are raising these rodents and they're calling them to sell as feeders. And therefore, if you have monitors and, and it's part of your plan or you have a friend who has an indigo or a cobra, right? And you you have the, the thought pre- you know, it, it's already been pre-contemplated. You've already thought about it before, and you have that plan to do that. I don't. I don't see the issue. The the issue that I have is if people are irresponsibly breeding and they they're like, shit, these animals aren't selling, and I can't. I don't have the money to get a bigger rack, or I don't have the money to to mm-hmm. keep feeding these animals. And now they're like, well, I guess I'll just cull them. That's irresponsible, and that's Correct. that's that's not okay. And and I I a hundred percent agree with that. I, I a thousand percent agree with that. And I've said for years. If you can't afford to hatch out baby retics and feed them for a year, don't breed them. Yeah. yeah don't breed the snakes. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there, there's a whole other ethical side of it too. Like that, you know, people are just mass producing retics that should like, it's, it's an issue. Like it, it, it really is an issue, which then drives, you know, the, and I think that's what fuels a lot of the people that are very, very against coaling is because it's like oh people are mass producing and they see that side of it um you know so we we as breeders do have an issue like they're like i I can't tell you how many people in the shitty market right now are showing off their seventh clutch of the year and i'm like why why did you do more than four trust me trust me i i i I was telling nathan this at the start i in the end of 2022 the 2022-2023 season I ended up with seven clutches. It was over 200 eggs, which literally two, two, I had two 70 egg clutches. Like it, it, it was ridiculous, Yeah. but I, I wasn't trying to do that. I had no intention of having seven clutches just for the first time ever in my breeding career, every pairing that I did took. But, and, and, and that's crazy. That it, never happens. It, it, right. It never happens, but it did. Either way, like I'll never, I will make sure that that never happens again. But I, yeah, same thing. I'm looking at these guys that are dropping their sixth, seventh, eighth clutches. And I'm like, what the fuck are you going to do with 200 baby retics? That grow fast as hell. But, well, fast I, as hell. Like, I, I don't. Unless you are literally doing a every weekend show circuit all over the country, 
you have zero, and I'm going to say zero chance of selling that many retics in a year. Zero. Yeah. Like, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't understand it. I could only imagine the amount of loss you would get trying to run a, an around the country circuit too with that amount of babies, yeah, like sick, trying to keep them healthy and yeah, everything sick, else. Sick stress, you know, it's it's insane. But but yeah, and I think that's where a lot of these people that like come from when we talk about coaling and things like that, and it, it gets up in arms is because the the reality and the truth of the matter is is the retake industry does have an issue with overproduction. And so when when we are overproducing and then these people see like, oh well people are just killing snakes, you know, I, I could see how that looks really shitty. But at the sure. same but at the same time, again I am a very gray person. I don't see things in black and white and anybody that is very black and white, you know, I'll give a little bit of effort to help them see the gray. And if they're unwilling, there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to change their mind. Correct. Correct. And, and it's just energy and time that, you know, I maybe two years ago had, right. But, but now that I have more people, you know, asking me questions about husbandry and, you know, we do the podcast, I got a family, I, I breed, I, you know, I, I got a day job. I don't have the energy to try to convince someone to see something different. It's not worth it. No, no, I don't either. I don't either. I haven't for a while. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do what I do. And if, if people don't like it, that's fine. They, they're welcome to try, try to do it a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nathan, do you want to jump into large enclosures um, or do, or any other questions you have about big retics? No, I mean, so, I mean, we, we talked highly about just your push to keep these larger animals in larger enclosure. Is there a plan to move beyond these 10 foot enclosures that you're already using as a standard? Uh, yeah, there is. I, I'm so when I was running the, the, the operation at the size that I was running it with the number of animals that I was there was no consideration of going bigger than 10 foot in terms of enclosures because it simply wasn't possible from a space standpoint, from a cleaning standpoint, from a maintenance standpoint, just all of the factors. Now that I'm down to what I'm down to, like I'm sitting here and I'm looking at Valkyrie and Alice that are both in 10 foot enclosures. Those enclosures, these enclosures, they're not big enough. They're not like, and I, I can say that now because my perspective has shifted for sure. And I, I am moving away from the style of keeping being a, a essentially commercial breeder. And I am moving back towards just more of a collector in terms of my keeping style. Um, you know, these 10 foot enclosures, 14, 15 foot snake. Sure. It's fine. They're, you know, like even these ones behind me. So these are eight by fours. They actually have more square footage than the 10 by threes, right? So the eight by, eight by fours are 32 square feet. The 10 by threes are 30 square feet, just on the floor, right? Not talking cubic. Floor space is, is the most important thing for these big constrictors, especially as their body size, as the girth grows, they need the floor space. That's what they need. Mm -hmm. However, like I, I, also, just with the kind of snakes that I have, and especially these localities, the activity level on these things, like they're all over the place. They don't just sit. They, and, and so, yeah, the, 
I'm working right now. So this isn't something that, that a lot of people know. I don't actually own the property that this facility sits on. So I moved here in 2020 and I, it was the place that I found that worked for all of the parameters that I, that, that I had with my life. I was moving to Utah. I didn't know if I was going to stay or not. I didn't know if I wanted to be in this area. Turns out I absolutely love this area, but um, I didn't know if I wanted to stay in this area. Pretty damn beautiful out here. It, it is an absolutely, it is absolutely beautiful. I'm also a felon and I had 200 pound pit bulls. So yeah. me trying to find a place to rent is a little tricky. And yeah. wasn't ready to just like throw money at buying a place when I, when I first moved here. Um, my wife and I are actually in the process of building a house now. Um, I'm building a dedicated essentially garage for my reptiles. Um, Still out in Park City? Um, not in Park City, but close. Okay. Yeah. Closer to Salt Lake or no? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I like the sounds of that. A little bit. Um, but anyways, uh, and what I am looking at doing. So I actually did reach out to Jordan Carpenter after you guys had him on the podcast. I talked to him a little bit. Um, I've talked to Mark as well. I haven't made any exact decisions on what I want to do. Um, but I'm going to put some very large scale walk-in enclosures in the new house because nice. we will be there for several years. I will own it. Um, you know, it will also not be a multi-purpose building. The biggest comment I get all the time from people on social media is, oh, you have all this space. Why don't you have bigger enclosures? What they don't understand is that six feet right over here is my John Deere tractor that I need to clear all the snow that we get right. up in Park City. And 20 feet that, not even 20 feet, probably 15 feet that way is my truck. And then my gym equipment is over there. This building is 2,500 square feet, but it serves a lot of purposes. And so to try and build, there's, there's two dog kennels in here. Like it has to serve a number of purposes. And so the cages that I had, and again, the, the place that I was in as a, a essentially running a commercial breeding operation, this is what worked. And, and it, it was sufficient in my mind. Um, but no, I, I, I don't think 10 footers are sufficient when it comes to, when it comes to just keeping these animals as, as pets or as, as a collector, if you're running a full-time breeding operation and that's what you're doing, I can understand it. I like, I, I understand it. I don't understand sticking these 17, 18 foot snakes in six and eight foot enclosures. I don't get it. Like, I don't know how you can walk in every day and see that snake crammed up in the corner with nowhere to go and just think that it's okay. Like I does, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. So. Um, no, I mean, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, you know, have a wrap up question in regards to that. Um, you know, we, we had a list of some Patreon member questions, but you actually hit on three of them throughout the episode of this podcast. So, um, I, I'm only going to ask one of them that we didn't get to. Um, well, one that I want to ask just because I'm also, I have a big curiosity as well, but Alessa on Patreon asked us what animal you regret selling the most. So I thought about that um, after, I, after I saw the question and initially there were a couple of different animals that came to mind, but um, the, the answer for me is actually pretty, re really, really easy. Um, 
I did a video a couple months back about a female adult female that I sold um, to a guy here in Utah and he ended up breeding her um, and he took none of the tutelage that I gave him. He followed none of the advice that I gave him. The female ended up going egg bound. How am I, I not aware of this person? Uh, well, we, 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 can we, we can talk after. Um, he, he, he didn't listen to it. I, like it's, it literally still just pisses me off so much. So this is a snake. She was actually from the very first clutch that I was ever a part of. So 2018 buddy of mine in Colorado named Jaden Hartman. Um, he was also somebody that was very into retics. He was very well known in the Colorado retic scene. Um, we became friends. We did a breeding together. Um, his big uh, tiger female and actually the male that I, one of the males that I drove to Arkansas and picked up the big sunfire um, to this day, still one of the biggest males I've ever seen in my life. So we bred those two together. Um, and out of that clutch, we made sunfires, tigers, and sunfire tigers. And one of the babies came out and I still have her pictures. She was just orange. She was a sunfire tiger, orange and just beautiful. And she had hard belly. First clutch I had ever hatched out. So Jaden had done the breeding. He had the eggs. I actually ended up having to go get the eggs um, from his house because he had some issues with a roommate. And so I went and got the eggs and finished incubating them. And then he came up, cut them with me. And again, like I, it was a co-clutch. It wasn't my own. So this baby comes out. She has hard belly. And Jaden doesn't have the time to come up and try to deal with it. So I've never produced retics before I got this little beautiful baby retic that has hard belly. And I'm like, I'm going to do what I can do. And I'm going to save its life. And I literally got the hard belly out, saved its life, raised this snake up for five years. Her name was puzzle piece. And I really, when I was downsizing last year, she was one that like, I, I held on to and I held on to, and I held on to, and I knew that like, she just didn't have a place in what I was wanting to do. But there was a sentimental piece, like, you know, first baby retake that I ever really, you know, hatched out, like didn't really want to get rid of her. And this local guy was sending me messages, wanted to buy an adult retake, had some adult retakes and was like, you know, I'm just looking for a female, you know, I want something that, you know, has a good temperament, um, you know, it's going to be big, you know, this and that. And I was like, well, like I have this female and, you know, like, you know, she is for sale, you know, here's the deal with her. And he's like, I want her. Okay. So made the deal with him. He picked her up for me at the show. I met the guy, like it, it felt okay. Like it felt okay. Um, less than three months later, I get a picture and he had, he had asked me a couple random questions about breeding and this and that. And I had answered the questions and Three, less than three months later, I get a picture and it's her in a cage with a golden child and they're locked. And I'm like, oh, like, what are the genetics on the breeding? He's like, oh, well, I think the golden child's head albino. So, you know, I just want to see if I can prove it out. And, you know, I just thought it, it, it would be cool. And I was like, what are you going to do with the babies? And he's like, oh, I mean, I got friends, you know, that'll want them this and that. And I was like, okay, dude, like, just do me a favor. Like, do this, do this, do this, do this. 
Oh, he didn't do any of it. So a couple more, a couple months goes by. I get a message. Hey man, she laid seven eggs and stopped. Fuck. I'm like, all right, dude, like, here's what you need to do. And I give him a protocol and I tell him, I'm like, here's a vet. And I have one of the best reptile vets I've ever dealt with ever here in Utah. Laura Buller, right? Laura Baylor. Yes. Baylor. Thank you. Yes. Um, Gave him her information. Well, he once again, didn't do anything I told him to do. He instead called his friend who breeds ball pythons, who saw Kevin's video. No, dude. Where he went in to one of his retics with a syringe. Stop. To drain the eggs. And they proceeded to try and do this to this female. Needless to say, it didn't do shit. A couple of days later, he's like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, you need to take the snake to this vet. You should have taken a fucking screenshot of what you told him to do originally and be like, hey, remember when I told you to do this? Now, can you please freaking do it? So he, he called Baylor. He took her, he took the snake into Baylor. Baylor called me and she was like, Hey, the snake is not in good shape. Like surgery is probably the only option. He doesn't have the money. Like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I'll come get the snake. I was like, I'll come get the snake, but I'm not paying. I was like, he needs to pay the bill today. She's like, okay. So he paid the bill for those services. And I went and got her and I brought her home. And I did everything that I know how to do to try to get a, an eggbound snake unegbound. Didn't work. So after a couple, probably like seven more days, I called Baylor and I said, "Hey, this isn't working." I said, "I really don't want to cut this snake open. What, like, can we try something else?" And she's like, "Well, we can anesthetize her, and we can try to work the eggs out of her." I said, "All right, let's do it. Come up." I put a video up of of this. Yeah, I remember this higher outcome. We pulled almost 30 eggs out of her. We got them all out. She was okay. I kept her for two months. And antibiotics, everything else, did everything I knew how to do. Had a friend who actually has bought, I think he's bought 16 cages from me. He's bought three retics. It's a really, really good dude. And he had been interested in this snake before. And I was like, you know what? And I called him. I said, look, if you want her, you can have her. Just don't breed her. That's my one condition. Just don't ever breed her. She's a pet. You want to do animal education, like use her for that. Just don't ever breed her. He agreed. She died like a month later. She went went septic. Man. And that by far, I regret selling that snake. Because I sold her, and because I sold her, she died. Like, she paid with her life. And that's, like, it, it, it's a part about this business that I know it just, that, like, it's a reality. But it was a really, really, like, brutal reminder when a snake that I raised from right. this, and, I mean, she was a solid seven, like, probably almost 17 feet like beautiful animal, healthy. And in less than six months, someone basically killed her. 
Like, yeah, that, yeah, that's and, sad. And, yeah, and and that's you know, so yeah, that's to answer the question, that's the one I regret selling the most. And and I, there are several animals that I sold last year that I really didn't want to, um, for a variety of reasons. But again, I had to make I had to make some hard decisions, and uh, that's just the way that went. Dude, that so. list that you had up was incredible. I can imagine how difficult, you know, I'm going through this process right now, moving out, you know, all of my morph stuff, you know, arguably besides my ocelot. And then I'm even looking at my locality stuff that I have like multiple, you know, 2.2 or whatever the case may be. And and I'm, I'm like looking at the list and I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. But I know I want to, but like, I, it's, it's probably going to take another year for me to, you know, be a little more open to it. But um, it's hard, man. It's really, really hard. Like, yeah. And, and not just because of the, like, for me, it wasn't just the animal. It was looking at the animal and knowing the amount of time and effort I had put into that animal to get it where it was. And in the back of my mind, having the thought of like, this animal may not make it a year. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and, and, and that's just, unfortunately, that's, especially when it comes to adult retics, that's just a sad reality. Like, and that is that I know for me, it's why I hung on for as long as I did to so many animals that like really didn't have a place or a purpose in my collection was because I knew that more than likely no one was going to take as good a care of them as I was. Yeah. You know, it's always a risk when we send an animal out. Um, and, uh, you know, that, even- that, that's the hardest part of, uh, of being a breeder. I feel like, like you're so passionately involved with these animals that a- anytime you send an animal out, whether it's something you wanted to keep or not, like it, it, it's something, you know, that ultimately you could keep better. Right. Or, or, or in your mind, whatever, but. Right. So. And- and it's a little different with babies, at least for me, it's a little different with babies. Um, you know, you get them established and like, for me, I want the babies to go to their new home because right. they're going to thrive in their new home versus just being here yeah. and taken care of. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. You know, I want to, I want to get into, um, our wrap up questions. Um, and, uh, I, I have one you know, that, that I came up with the kind of last minute before we started this, it wasn't on the guy that I kind of sent you. And and it's funny because you actually made a comment referencing something about it before when it comes to like the size of enclosures and people, you know, who, who aren't changing to increase their enclosure. So, you know, what, what, what are your, your, like, what message do you have for those breeders that have been doing this for a while and they're, they're reluctant or straight up just like refusing to kind of get with the times and, and, realize that these these large animals need larger enclosures and they just aren't doing it well so i think you have to i don't think there's a blanket message that can apply right because the motivations are different Hmm. so number one the breeders who rely on these animals to put food on their table do fucking something else like it's just like it, it's really that simple like find something else to put food on your table besides selling these animals because so long and i've said this for years so long as that is the reality and and this this definitely ruffles feathers and i and i and i i don't care 
So long as you are relying on these animals to put food on your table, your ethics will and 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 what you will do will come into question. They just will. And, and there, there's no way around that. So that's one aspect. Um, I have said this to plenty of the, I'm going to call them old heads in the industry, and it's why most of them don't like me. Evolve. Like, evolve. It's really, really simple. If you're not evolving, you're dying. And some of these old heads are dying um, in, in a multitude of ways. And it's not that I want them to. Like, just fix what you're doing. Like, just because it worked 20 years ago when we didn't know any better, when they were getting into it and there was no information, doesn't make it okay to keep doing it now. Like, it, yeah. it, it, it doesn't. Um, you know, and again, I haven't been doing this. I've been keeping retakes for over a decade, been breeding, like I said, for six. My standards have changed. What I think is okay and what's not has changed. And that's, that should be part of anyone's like self-evaluation. Really. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I, I also know that part of it is a lot of these guys still just want to keep everything. And like, look, if you've got the money to like, to support it and to provide the, what's proper and like, and keep a hundred animals sure by all means go for it do it but don't make the animals suffer because you can't make up your mind on what you actually like really really love and what you're kind of just like oh yeah that's kind of cool like and and again it goes back to what i said earlier like i genuinely believe the days of retic breeders breeding a little bit of everything are done like yeah. they, they they just are and so now if you're a retic breeder and you have 60, 80, 100 animals and you're looking at them going, well, what do I want to make? That right there is the is, is a problem within itself. Like you should know what you want to make and what you're focused on. And you should be focused on making the absolute best examples of that. And, and the guy I always go back to is Shane. Like Shane is so blinder focused, so on, focused on mm -hmm. what he's making, right? But that's why, if you want a purple Sunfire or a purple OGS, there's no question who you're going to. Yeah, there's no question you're going to Shane. Like that—that's just it, and no one can touch him in terms of the lane that he's in because he's so laser focused. It's how we all should be. It's how we all should be like so just inherently focused on this is what I'm making. This is what I'm going after. And I'm going to make the absolute best examples of it. I possibly can. And if we, as a community, if we each and every one of us did that, we would know, Oh, Hey, I need this animal. I'm going to this person because he's got the best, right? Like, you know, Lucas, you just made the, the, the Slayers. Everyone came to you. Cause they're like, Holy shit. Like, so let like real slayers in the last three years like yeah. yeah that's the first one same same reason everybody well not everybody but so many people i had a lot of people when i posted those sulas tell me that i was nuts for what i was listing them for that i would Are never you? that i would never sell them 
that's a joke. You can sell Sulers for three K and they'll sell. I I had I had twenty five of them to sell. Twenty four of them are gone. Yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. You stay focused on the thing. I mean, I I couldn't agree more. You know, with your your statements in regards to the enclosure stuff, and even just with with being hyper focused on something. I think that that's uh, you know, I I I wish. I, I, not that I wish, I hope, I'm hopeful that we can get to that place um, and, and kind of catch up with, you know, the, the reality of the animals we're working with. So people and breeders specifically can just start to be more responsible. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Man. Well, Weston, uh, I mean, my life is finally calming down to a point where I'm going to finally get up there and hang out a little bit, but uh, just anytime. for our... Yeah, just for our viewers, our listeners, just give a plug of where everyone can find you, where we can find your babies for sale, anything like that. So it's really simple. Wildfire Retix. Google it. You will get my webpage, and my webpage is the most basic thing in the world. It has my social media pages and my Morph Market store, which is where everything I have is for sale. Uh, my Morph Market is up to date. That took a monumental effort on my part. Um, but it is fully up to date. Um, and yeah, any, any, anywhere on social media, wildfire retakes. Um, I really haven't been active at all on YouTube probably in the last year or so. Um, you know, I, I just haven't had the ability or the time to, uh, to, to put the videos up like I used to. Um, I had someone at one point full-time doing the editing and everything else for me. Um, any of you guys that follow my socials know, how I post stuff is someone shoots it on my iPhone for me and I ship it. I don't edit it. I don't, I don't change anything. I just send it. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm hopeful, um, that I'm going to be able to get back to doing some more, some more content posted regularly. Um, it's, it's just going to be a little bit different. Um, it's going to be mainly just about the animals themselves, not so much about breeding. Um, cause that's really not as much of a focus for me at this point. Um, as it is just showing off, you know, these, these incredible animals that I'm privileged to own. Yeah. Yeah. I love the mindset. And, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. We really do appreciate you for taking the time. I, and to be honest, we've been doing this now for almost like a year and a half now. And, and, you know, shocked at the fact that we didn't have you on any earlier, but I'm happy that we finally got you on and it definitely probably won't be the last time that we do. But anytime you guys, uh, extend the invite, I'll be happy to come back on. So thank you. Yes, again. sir. Thanks, Thanks Weston. All right, take care, guys. See you, man. All right, that's a wrap. One of our longest episodes and full of a bunch of information. I'm, I'm and our like, first Utah boy. Right. Let's get oh, it. True, true. Um, <laughs> well, we'll welcome as a Utah boy, but you know. <laughs> um anyways guys again thank you so much for hanging out if you've watched this far um you know i had a blast talking with weston and weston's always a pleasure to talk to i've had multiple phone conversations with him and he's a wealth of knowledge and someone that i hit up um frequently with things that that even you know something new that comes up my way um so reach out to him on social media he's an open person to talk to and and can teach you a lot um you know, shout out to our Patreon our, 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 and our listeners. If you guys are fans of West Ends and you're listening to us for the first time, hit that subscribe button, like the video, post a comment down below. Um, Nathan, you got anything else? No, we'll see you on 83.